Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning. And today my guest is John Macy, who is an Alexander Technique teacher, a physical therapist, and a certified Pilates teacher in Omaha, Nebraska. He uh, runs and owns Great Plains Pilates and Physical Therapy in Omaha. And we're going to talk today about um, the effect of visceral pulls on our body and how those pulls differ from those of muscular pulls and um, why it's important to, to understand that. Uh, John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. So I think what we're going to be talking about here today is of interest to people, anyone who does any kind of movement therapy uh, or somatic process, including, of course, the Alexander Technique. And since this is an Alexander Technique um, podcast, I wonder if you could just provide our listeners a very short description of the technique. Ah, you always ask the easy questions first. I try to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the Alexander Technique, to me, from my training and reading his materials, is really about improving our ability to control our movement and underlying that, controlling our response to the stimuli that makes us move. So it really works in two places makes us understand where we're at and then how we're going to use ourselves to interact with wherever we're at in a in three-dimensional space. Right. And as as part of that process, Alexander te- Technique teachers use um, something called directions often, which are self-instructions self, uh, on how to reorganize ourselves. And I think for the most part, those directions kind of implicitly assume that we are fairly symmetrical. Would you agree with that? I'm just throwing that out as an idea here. Um, I I think that's true, at least symmetrical from looking at the body front on, right to left. And I think it goes beyond directions. I think in most somatic interventions, people are looking for symmetry and they, when you see somebody who's asymmetric, one shoulder higher than the other, um, one hip forward compared to the other, a ter- twist in the body, we assume there's something, quote, wrong, unquote. Mm-hmm. And if we see somebody who's very symmetric, we think everything's just hunky-dory in that organism. Right. And what you've been interested in of late and have got me interested in as well are the asymmetric pulls caused by our asymmetric visceral uh, structure. That is, that the, the, the stuff that's inside our torso is not symmetrical. Uh, certainly the diaphragm itself is not symmetrical. The heart's on one side, um, mm-hmm. livers, liver, all those organs, uh, the colon, they're all asymmetrical. And they they exert in, in themselves a kind of a pull on our body, a kind of a visceral pull that is not symmetrical. And that has some pretty big implications. I agree. I think it has some very big implications. I think from any somatic intervention, uh, Alexander 
physical therapy, even teaching exercise, mm-hmm. people yes. need to appreciate the fact that at rest, our viscera is going to pull the frame into some asymmetry for two reasons. One is, as you were saying, we're asymmetric, which is a very good thing. Asymmetric in the sense that we have these large organs that are sitting in us, and most of them have muscle, muscle cells. They're contractile, they're moving. Your gut's always moving, your heart's working. There's even contractile fibers in your liver. Hmm. Um, so there's movement going on, and you have very few organs that you have two of. So if you think from an engineering standpoint, you have all these individual pieces, a liver, a stomach, a pancreas, a spleen, a colon, etc., but only one of each, but you've got to package it inside the abdomen and the chest and get them all in there. Inherently, they're sitting asymmetrically, which means when they do their contracting, they pull on the frame in an asymmetric manner. That's normal. That's how we're designed. Mm -hmm. And it's a good thing because the fact that we don't have two livers or two stomachs or two colons saves a huge amount of energy. It has an evolutionary advantage to only have one instead of two, but it comes at the cost of our mechanical symmetry, which has an effect on our movement abilities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, it's also kind of a packaging issue. You have all those organs and you got to get them in there. You could conceivably imagine a system where it was completely symmetrical, but we might then be way longer in the torso and very inefficiently designed for movement. Yeah. I mean, if you look under the hood of your car, that's another example of things are very asymmetric, but you got to get it all in there. Right. And different cars do it differently, but very few have everything sitting right down the center and symmetric right, left, top, bottom, etc., Right, right. So this, the asymmetrical pulls exerted, or pull, collective pull, I guess, exerted by your viscera, um, maybe you could describe what the typical way that affects you if that's the only thing going on is. Well, I'm still working out exactly who's pulling where, but what I am seeing and this builds off the work of Ron Haruska and Posture Restoration, mm-hmm. is that at rest, so the musculoskeletal system is quiet and the predominant forces on the frame is the viscera, is that the left hip is rotated slightly forward. In physical therapy speak, we'd say you have an anterior right left, or an anterior left ilia. Mm-hmm. Uh, the left shoulder is retracted slightly. So you've got the left hip a little forward and the left shoulder back a little bit. Mm-hmm. There'll be a shift to the left of the lower back and to the right in the upper back, which is what we almost always see in scoliosis. They seem to have gotten that pattern very large and couldn't come out of it. But that's the resting pattern for humans by the forces that are pulling on us internally. There's nothing, in my opinion, wrong with that. We're doing what we need to to be in a neutral point of the forces that are going on in our viscera. As we're pumping blood, the diaphragm's pulling on us with each breath, and the intestines are squeezing the food through us. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're lying down, for example, that is the pattern that's going to be in effect unless you intervene to change it. That's right. And, so when, that's... and when you're not doing very much, let's say you're standing, I think even if you're standing, um, just plain old standing, most people 
tend to put a little more weight on their right leg as a result of that pattern, right? That's correct. And, Most and, people and, feel very odd shifting to their left leg mm-hmm. as far as they like to stand on their right. And I think one way of for our listeners to experiment with this is to imagine that you're standing in line and you want to just for a while put put most of your weight on one leg deliberately. It's pretty much always going to be the right leg. Mm-hmm. Unless there's been some uh, perhaps accident or something that's changed things around. But that's pretty typical. Yeah, and you're seeing a reflection of the position that the musculoskeletal frame will go to when the visceral system and the internal system is predominating for what orientation you're having for your overall structure. Another way to actually see this on yourself is to sit in a chair where you're bent at the hips about 90 degrees, your knees are 90 degrees and flat on the floor, Mm -hmm. sitting comfortably. Mm -hmm. And most people, their left knee will be slightly in front of the right. And even if they're equal, if you ask them to push the right knee out forward further, they can do it easily. Not so easy to do that with the left. I'm sorry. It is easier for them to push the left knee forward mm-hmm. than it is to push the right knee forward. Mm-hmm. They have a symmetry in where they like to rest, and generally it's with the left knee slightly forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is a reflection of that same, that same pattern that you've been talking about. It is. So it, my understanding of of your thinking on this is first of all that it's not there's nothing wrong with it inherently however if we want to go into movement and 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 activate the muscular system our muscular system which is fairly symmetric right yes you have two of it, most everything on yeah. either side and that's of course what you see when you see a person generally and so that is but that's the that's the system that you need to be using to to move that that the pull uh the that pull um exer- uh, exerted by the viscera is not optimal for movement it is optimal for rest as far as the viscera are concerned yeah i think an easier way to look at this is that the neutral point for the viscera is not the same as neutral for the musculoskeletal system. And I like to lump those two together because the muscles work by pulling on the bones, pulling on the skeleton, mm-hmm. and using the levers of the bones through the joints. It all works as a, as a system together. So neutral point for the viscera, where they're going to work the easiest, is a slightly different orientation of the frame than neutral point for the musculoskeletal system which is the easiest center point for it to work from to help us move ourselves through space and work in the environment. But they're slightly different. It's one of the trade-offs I believe we've made evolutionarily to have more function, more efficiently functioning viscera. Mm-hmm. So people who are physically active um, and are are display good use naturally, let's say, in their physical activities, um, most likely shift from the visceral relationship to the muscular one pretty habitually, right? That's been my experience. And you've noticed that, for example, in horseback riders, Mm -hmm. that if if they're... 
Maybe you could describe that as an example. That's, that's a very interesting example because that's honestly how I started this right. this discovery. Right. Um, I had been trained in the postural restoration work about this asymmetry, but it didn't answer why we were asymmetric. I had a client of mine who's a serious rider, does jumping, and she said that one of her horses was not doing well. Could I have a look at the horse? So, you know, I thought, yeah, I can look at a horse. Um, but the long and short was, as I went and I filmed the riders jumping at first to see what the horses were doing. But what I realized was that it was the riders who were asymmetric. And it was quite pronounced when they went up into the jump that they were turning slightly as they came up in the stirrups to go over the jump, which gave the horse a command to turn slightly so it wouldn't fall, lose the rider when it landed. Mm-hmm. I went to a competition after that, um, the International here in Omaha, which is an international event for horse jumping, and filmed riders. And I discovered that the riders who won and never hit a rail, knocked down one of the rails and they jumped, always were moving right up the middle every time they took a jump. And the ones who didn't go up the middle, they didn't always hit the rail. But every time a rail was hit, the rider was not square over the back of the horse. They were slightly turned. So they had not moved out of their visceral patterns, as it were. Correct. They were still letting their frame, by default, twist slightly in the pattern that was predominated by the neutral of the viscera. Mm-hmm. And now, I, this took, yeah. Go ahead. Well, and, and I think horseback riders generally uh, are pretty aware that whatever they do is immediately affecting their horse's movement. Yes, and actually across the field, whether it's dressage, whether it's jumping, whether it's just casual riding, the riders are always talking about they're crooked in the saddle and how to be straight, and when they get, quote, straight, they feel crooked, Mm -hmm. which got me to thinking, which sensation set are we looking for and I realized they were looking at the visceral neutral because usually we rest in sitting. So when they're sitting on the saddle, if it didn't feel like the visceral ne- neutral in that position, it was crooked when they were in musculoskeletal neutral. The other catch is we spend so much time in our culture sitting and resting that the tissues get a little tight and a little restricted. So we're biased for the frame to hang out in the musculoskeletal or in the visceral neutral and it takes a little extra work to get to that musculoskeletal neutral right and in in the old days uh pre-tv pre-internet pre uh all the sort of sedentary activities that we're so good at today people were out and about and doing actual things in the world a lot more of the time Right, they had to do a lot more physical activities that required them to turn to both sides, mm-hmm. lift and twist in both directions, right and left, up and down. And so those tissues were kept freer and available to use, even if it, that isn't where they parked when they were at rest. When they had to use their musculoskeletal system, the tissues let them get to that neutral and move from there very easily. Right, so the transition to the active or we could maybe call it the the mus- muscular or movement orientation took place a lot and they were in that a lot so it wasn't a big deal to get there but we on the other hand are sitting around on our couch and 
and uh, at our computers, at our computers, one hand. doing podcasts and the like, and <laughs> we're we're in in some danger. I think, um, speaking personally, for sure, of of being a little stuck in that visceral uh, pull. And so getting out of that as we go into go into movement is not quite as efficient or autom- or easily done. I we have to, we have to actually think about it. Yeah, at least to free up those tissues for a little bit to get that free again. And I think this is interesting because Alexander wrote a lot about how it hit by his opinion the sedentary sedentary um, lifestyle that he perceived at that time was leading to so many problems with people with their breathing and their digestion, etc. Mm-hmm. So he really saw that it was a problem. And part of what I find fascinating with the technique is that when people are employing good primary control, whatever that means, it varies by teachers, but when they're moving well, they seem to come to a musculoskeletal neutral. Mm-hmm. And then they start moving. They're taking that little pause before they start to move to do something different and then engage in movement. And that's my fascination is what's that something different from a mechanistic point of view? Right. And that little transition, as you say, it's a very subtle one. It's not like a, it's not a big movement. It's almost really it's pretty close to being a mental intent. Right. No, it's an actual it's, movement because you but need it's to, a subtle movement. Right? It's, it's it's subtle, but it's global. Right. It's a whole body orientation change. Right. And to to make that change, you need to, if you're going to be doing it consciously, you need to self-direct in an asymmetrical way. That's correct. At at, at, at least at the very beginning to get you into the more symmetrical muscular pattern. So I think people listening to this um, can understand, in theory, how this all might be. But I guess the first question I would ask if I were listening is, okay, how do I do this for myself? How, how can, <laughs> I, I, think, I think we've discussed a little bit how we can tell if we're in it by just, for example, standing or sitting and just noticing that the mm-hmm. weight's a little bit off to one side habitually. But I'm assuming it's a little more than just shifting the weight. It's a little bit more than that. A tiny bit more. I mean, um, in, in the work of postural restoration, they've developed hundreds of exercises to target specific muscle patterns or problems that have developed in people. Mm-hmm. But by the time they get to the clinic to see us, they have some serious problems going on. For the average person, for the Alexander Technique teachers or other people interested in this, there's two things I would suggest you do. One is make sure you get weight on your left side when you're standing. Whenever you're standing, doing something, just make sure you shift and have your weight predominantly on your left leg. For two reasons. Predominantly for periods of time or predominantly? No, move over, do it for five or ten seconds, and then forget about it. Okay. But you're just reprogramming the brain to say, oh, I could be over here. Oh, this is available. Oh, this should be just as easy as being on the other side. So you start using it all the time without having to think about it. 
Oh, okay. The other other one you can do when you're sitting, it's easier in sitting than standing, is to just get your feet on the floor, pull your left hip back a little bit so that left knee is a little behind the right, and just turn your sternum. If you think there's a line coming out from your sternum, your breastbone, turn it about three or four degrees to the right. So you just get a little twist. You'll feel that right shoulder come back, your little turn. And stay there for a few breaths. So it's a little looking down. It's a little clockwise movement of your sternum, right? Of my sternum while my hips are going the other direction. The left one's coming back, so it's going anti-clockwise. Right. So you're, yeah, you're, your, pelvis, your pelvis is, in effect, rotating slightly counterclockwise, right? Right. And, and, what's, you're, what's... and the upper part of your torso, we could call it your sternum, uh, is, is or would be a good reference point is rotating slightly clockwise, so it's a twist. It's it's it's, it's the twist. exact opposite twist to what your viscera are are doing left to their own devices. Right, and you're only doing this to get your brain used to the fact that it's possible to move here. Mm-hmm. And honestly, hold it for two or three breaths, so you literally stretch those tissues a little. So it becomes physically easier to get there. You won't park there. When you're resting and your viscera take over, when you sleep, you'll go back into the other one. But when you roll over in bed or get up to get a drink of water, you want your brain to say, oh, I can get back to center before I get out of bed. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to do. And I, I found that when, when you, once you sort of get into this a bit, it can almost become pretty close to just a little light mental thought. Uh-huh. A little direction of of a direction of twist, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And this is where I find it a, a wonderful adjunct to a lot of somatic therapies I've come across, because many of them, and I believe Alexander technique is often guilty of this too, are very planar. We're dealing with left, right, forward, back, but not rotation and not multiple planes simultaneously. Right, I would agree with that. Yeah, because we move through space in three dimensions all at once. We we'll go forward, sideways, and rotate all the time. Mm-hmm. But therapies get very focused on can you do this one planar movement, and it's just not enough. It's not how we work. Well, if you think about sort of classic Alexander directions, forward and up, is pretty linear, right? Yeah, it's very much on the sagittal plane. You're going front, back. And back, lengthen and widen, which is an old-timey, traditional Alexander direction. Again, it's it's a symmetrical direction, right? Mm -hmm. It's along one plane. Right. And so... um, And I don't know of any Alexander direction that involves turn, twist. or, or, Or as you, I think, would probably put it, untwist. (laughs) <laughs> from from the full of the viscera, yeah, yeah. Just so, a little freedom out of it, and you, and it's not just Alexander. That's a problem I have with Pilates, and I think Pilates is a great exercise form. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very planar, and I see more and more of the newer instructors starting to add twists and turns and more rotational activity to it because they're beginning to appreciate that that's one of the shortcomings also. Mm-hmm. And I, I would think it's true of most physical therapy too, right? Yes. I mean, you and I have been exposed, you more than me, to a particular uh, branch of physical therapy 
that, that really emphasizes asymmetries. But um, most, I think most PTs, just like most of us, see the body is inherently symmetrical. And if it doesn't look symmetrical, we got to figure out a way to help make it more symmetrical. And we got to figure out a way to get the musculoskeletal system symmetrical mm-hmm. without looking at what is that musculoskeletal system there for. Exactly. And at the end of the day, I contend it's there to carry the viscera around. Right. They're the more important of the two components. You can lose an arm and do okay. Try losing a heart and do okay, or yes. a liver. You know, there's no extra parts. They're kind of critical to the whole mission. Well, it is, I mean, just from a very broad perspective, here we are moving through space and carrying this package that is, is of course, as you say, asymmetrical, exerting pulls in an asymmetrical way, and and that's that's in in which there's a lot of movement going on, right? Heart's beating, uh, diaphragm's moving up and down. Minutes, your lungs are expanding, contracting. Yeah. The diaphragm is moving. Everything. And the diaphragm's an interesting piece. Mm. I just want to give it its due because it's one of the major connections between the musculoskeletal system and the viscera. Mm-hmm. It's muscular, and it's actually there's two muscles with separate innervation. You can have half of the diaphragm paralyzed by trauma. But when it pulls to flatten out so you can inhale, it's pulling on the ribs. So it's translating a movement to the musculoskeletal system directly, while at the same time, when it descends, it's pushing the abdominal viscera down and making more space in the thorax so air will come in. So right. it's have, it's kind of, if you will, the um, the liaison between the two systems. And it's also a muscle that can be used as a postural mu- muscle. Not a good idea, but it can be, right? Oh, yes. Um, and and, and it's, people do. Mm-hmm. And it it's creates all kinds of problems when they do that. And it's one of those few things that is both under voluntary and involuntary control. You don't have to think about it, but it'll keep working to make you breathe. But at any time, you can hold your breath. You can boom, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. stop breathing. Try and, doing that with your heart. Yeah, and it's a it's that. a very strong muscle as well. I think most people don't realize that. Yeah, it's a large piece of muscle and has very good contractile force on it. And at rest, most people are going to breathe about eighteen to twenty-one thousand times a day. That's a lot of little tugs on your system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything else you want to say about this this um, su- subject before we come to an end? Yeah, there's one last point that I really want people to, te- to take away from all this. is not that there's a right or wrong, but just appreciate that we really have two systems pulling on our organism. We have one that will predominate at rest, the visceral system, that twists us in a particular manner. Mm-hmm. And then we have another one that we use for getting through the environs. And the neutral point on those is slightly different. Yeah. So when you yeah. look at somebody to assess what should I do or what's going on, just keep in mind that there's two there that you have to account for when you're figuring out what to do. Mm-hmm. If people just have that idea underneath, I think we could really improve a lot of what we do with Alexander Technique, Pilates, and all sorts of somatic interventions. Yeah, well, I can I can personally attest to that. Once you start, bec- once you open up your awareness to that, and learn how to 
to be aware of it and how to change it when it's appropriate to change it, it does make a huge difference in the quality of your moving and, and breathing. So I think this would be a good place to bring our conversation to a close. Uh, my, my guest today has been John Macy, uh, an Alexander Technique teacher for, I didn't say this before, for over 30 years, a PT for 30 years, possibly the world's oldest physical therapist, um, longest-lasting <laughs> physical therapist, um, also a certified Pilates. Well, there is a pretty high burnout rate in that world. There's um, not a lot of old therapists. There's not a lot of old PTs. You're not generally the oldest one in most clinics I go into. Exactly. You're, you're, uh, <laughs> you're an example to us all. He's also a certified Pilates uh, uh Instructor. Instructor. And he is the owner and operator of Great Plains uh, Pilates and Physical Therapy in Omaha, Nebraska. We'll put links to all of that by the interview. John, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been my pleasure, Robert.